Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. All right. So I'm here with Eric. Uh, he had a marketing ad agency at uh, some point, and then decided to um, scale into and invest in other companies that he wanted to grow. Um, can you tell me, I, I want to go into that, Eric, where you are now, but first I want to start with your early beginnings. Where, where did you start? What's the story behind that? And what got you into the business you are today? Uh, well, hi, good morning, Frank. Um, so, so my, my backstory, I originally from Michigan, I grew up in the Detroit area and, um, and, and actually while I was in school, got recruited to help some entrepreneurs that were in the hotel business. And I started doing that actually full-time my senior year of college. And we renovated uh, franchised hotels, Holiday Inns, built Hampton Inns, Clarion Hotels, and ended up doing that for five years and had a great experience. And then uh, I, the, the lure of getting involved in the tech business lured me out to LA, joined some guys that had gone to University of Michigan where I went. Uh, we, we got into a, uh, a number of businesses on the tech space, bundling hardware and software together. Uh, we bought a licensing company and then we bought a, um, a distressed property called Activision and then turned that company around. It's now the biggest company in the video game space. I ran marketing and I was there yeah. a total of 10 years. Who hasn't heard um, Activision? Yeah. Totally. And then, um, and then I, I spun out of that, the marketing team there and started an agency called Ignited, which we've been running for 20 years and have successfully grown into being a company doing business across the country and with a lot of international brands. And then uh, about five years ago, um, we got involved in early stage marketing tech investments and had done a bunch of those and then did a co-working space uh, called El Camp. And now are, are building a, a larger scale co-working business that is going to be called Fast Company Collabs in partnership with a media brand called Fast Company. So kind of in a, in a nutshell, those are the things I've been involved in. Wow. So some pretty, you're, you're involved in some pretty big brands. Um, were there, so what I like about you as an entrepreneur is, or as a VC uh, is that you're actually an entrepreneur. You've, you've gone through the, the, the grind, the daily grind of, of making that work. And then you started, you know, investing in other entrepreneurs. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say uh, VC would be very generous. I'd say we've done it. We've <laughs> been involved in a number of angel projects that were early stage and uh, a learning from that is it's a lot harder to actually pick winners and, and get them to grow than it, than it looks like when you, you look at the big funds that invest capital in, in businesses. Um, but, but it, Along the way, one of the strategies I've always had is kind of build on things you've done in the past. And then if you go into every one of these investments as 
uh, an opportunity to learn something, potentially use that to help our other parts of your business portfolio, um, you can't lose in that case because you're always going to be learning. Absolutely. And, and you have experience. So you can, if, if an entrepreneur says something that doesn't make sense, you can call it out for what it is, you know, as opposed to, you know, like going, spe- speaking from somebody that doesn't have experience that is investing. Like, I feel like Theranos is a great example of that is like all these investors, they, they had money, but they had no idea what they were doing in the, in the medical field. And I think that really screwed them over because they, they had no idea what was going on the whole time, you know, which is crazy. Yeah, no, I, I, I unfortunately we've seen, um, the of late <laughs> a number of ventures that have received huge amounts of investment and were probably uh, overly optimistic and way too um, easy on the CEO to let them do what they wanted to do. And, and, and the investors got, got burned in those cases. So, you know, I've, I've, I've mostly been involved in things that were, earlier stage didn't require a massive amount of capital and were primarily bootstrapped with a little bit of outside investment and, and much more conservative focused on, on actually making products and profits. And, and so that is a bit more conservative, not nearly as headline grabbing as, as Theranos or WeWork or Uber for that matter. But, um, but that's kind of the more common, um, day in day out entrepreneurialism that's that's frankly the bedrock of of what makes this country uh, amazing absolutely 100 percent. i think you know the 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 type of person that's going to change the world is an entrepreneur for sure um and because you know there's quite a, there's a, there's a very few uh entrepreneurs out there <laughs> and uh with the vision that can, can actually put things out of the marketplace that actually help people at scale it's true uh, yeah. So, so tell me, um, so through, through this journey, you, you've actually, you know, uh, you have uh, great accolades, you've achieved a level of success that a lot of people would like to attain. What were, have you ever listened to my podcast, by the way? I have. You have. Okay. You've covered some really interesting people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the one question I like to ask is, was there ever a point in your journey that made you want to quit that, it was just so challenging that you just, you know, you didn't know if you, you would be able to, to overcome the challenge. Yeah. You know, I, I think that it is a, um, a natural thing to have that happen periodically, but I think that the difference I've, I've been very fortunate in my marketing career in particular to help a lot of um, entrepreneurs. And so I've seen it on both sides, both as a business person, as somebody helping other business people, and the ones that are really um, committed, they really have the love for building things. They have that relentless belief that they will power through. And no matter what obstacles they have, they will overcome that. And, and my experience has been that the, the, that's a, a very rare breed of people that just believe in their ideas, are incredibly passionate, and will find a way through. And, and so I've, been, I've kind of had a bit of that where I've, I've just – had maybe an irrational belief that it'll all work out. Yeah. And you kind of, and it's kind of that, that theory of abundance. There's plenty of resources out there. There are plenty of people you could work with. 
And if you have good ideas and you've, you've torture tested it in some way with a, a kind of an MVP process and you've proven that there's somebody interested in what you have to offer, then you should stick to it and, and drive through. Um, but, but, you know, the, the thing that I've done on, on many of the ventures we've done is been willing to pivot and adjust as the market corrects and changes and adjusts. And you can't just, you know, fall in love with an idea and stick to it um, to the end. You have to actually be, listen very carefully to what people say as you develop your product or service and then make sure that you've got something that the market is interested in and, and, and will embrace. Do you feel that happens too often? Like uh, entrepreneurs, they, they're too romantic about their idea and while the market's changing, they don't want to change. Do you feel that happens a lot? Uh, you know, I think it's finding a balance because you can, you can change with the wind, <laughs> keep changing your product based on every meeting you have or yeah. every trade show you go to, you keep changing your package or you keep changing your name. True. Um, and that's no good. Yeah. And on the other hand, um, you can be so stubborn that you won't listen to any input. And I think the trick is, is, is being a good listener um, having access to smart advisors and mentors who can give you some, some guidance and direction and course correction as needed. And I think it's, it's finding that right sweet spot. Have you, uh, can you, can you, I know that you have like quite a great, you have a quite a, a track record regarding business, but was there ever like something that like I, I like when I, I have like really successful people on because everybody everybody goes wow that that guy's achieved a level of success that's like that they feel maybe unattainable for them and uh, I think it's for for the most part I think most success is attainable for for anyone uh, with a few exceptions um, but what a lot of people like to hear is things like you know the mistakes that you made along the journey the sure. the things that like most people would, would look at those mistakes and go uh that probably wasn't ideal but yeah no I, I, listen I've, I've made many many mistakes and had had some taken some knocks along the way um I, I'll, I'll recount one that i went through not so long ago i had a client who um came to me he was a marketing person at a a company that was doing Comic-Con events all over the country. And he had this vision of making a subscription box business to feed those fans. And he, uh, he came to me and asked for help to get his idea off the ground. And I, I said, oh, I don't have time for this. And I, I kind of pushed him up, but he was a relentless guy. And I ultimately acquiesced and let him use some space and kind of helped him get the thing going. And he, um, he, we had, we raised some money and, um, and I, I learned along the way that um, you got to be very careful on who you uh, invest in and how much rain you give to them to, to, to uh, roll out the business and ultimately got caught in kind of the, the decline in the subscription box business, which there's still a lot of them out there that are doing okay, but kind of got overexcited by the hype of that business and, even the king of that category, Loot Crate, ultimately went bankrupt. And so this company, we actually ended up selling to Loot Crate. Um, uh, 
and, and, and they ultimately had financial trouble. And so got excited about the idea and the dream, got excited by an entrepreneur, um, but learned that, that um, just because someone's got passion and charisma, um, if they're in the wrong segment at the wrong time or they don't execute properly, sometimes it doesn't always work out. When you say subscription box, are you talking about like, uh, like somebody pays a subscription to receive something in the mail every month or so? Yeah, that type of thing. Uh, you know, Bark Box and Loot Crate and and the like. Um, there's there's hundreds of them out there, and and uh, you know, ostensibly it looks like a really easy business, um, but as it turns out, um, uh, and, and again, I was not deeply involved in it, but but you know, kind of helped with providing some, some office space and a little bit of mentorship, but it, it turned out to be a much tougher category than, than, than um, the entrepreneur yeah. managed, imagined. So I know like Ty Lopez, you know, as, as hateful as some people are regarding, uh, you know, him as an entrepreneur, he's uh, definitely created a, a great subscription service, uh, MentorBox. Yeah, no, there are there are some there are definitely some standouts that have worked out really really well. But um, one of the learnings I had was that we, we uh, I'll just say Americans are now getting a heck of a lot of subscriptions. Um, you got our your cable cable subscription. You got power, water. You got your, your Netflix. You got your Disney Plus. You got your Apple TV. Yeah. Um, then you got a bunch of boxes coming in. Amazon's encouraging you to sign up for subscriptions. And at some point, um, people will, uh, they'll say, I've, I've got too many. And they tend to, to look at their credit card bill and, and, and choke. So I, one of the learnings is you can't ship people too much stuff too frequently. It's got to be valuable and it's got to be consumable because otherwise it piles up. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like uh, I don't know how consumable uh, I guess, yeah, to some extent, uh, books are consumable, um, you know, because obviously you read the whole book and you need another, yeah. you know, but, but like, but it just seems like there's a, a long life cycle regarding books. Like some people don't read books for, you know, it takes them like a year sometimes. Yeah. You know? So I don't know how they made that successful, but, <laughs> but uh, so, so, okay, cool. So you, you, you uh, the, the reason that was a mistake was just because, I think I think if I'm reading you reading what you're saying right, you did invest in the right entrepreneur. He didn't execute. You know what I think it was. It's 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 usually not one thing. It just tends to be a, a whole series of variables that aren't perfect. And you and some of it comes down to timing and then your ability to pivot and adjust. Um, and and that's a really hard thing to to know, especially when you're in the digital space and there's a lot of competition coming in. And so so I you know I've I've learned that that timing is really critical, the right team is really critical, um, and then having enough capital is always a, a a a critical thing. Which is some things are not very capital intensive, but but many businesses do require a lot of capital, and and. Um, and without that, that becomes the lifeblood, um, as evidenced by where, you know, we've, we've got um, investments in co-working spaces, and we've just witnessed one of the greatest flame of an IPO in history with, with WeWork, and it was, you know, frankly, and they got too much capital and were burning it too fast, 
and uh, and and unfortunately um, yeah. caused them to have to stop their their IPO and caused them to make a major management shift. And so, um, not to mention their CEO is like extremely irresponsible. Like at one point, yeah, there's a there's a there's a crazy interesting story, and I'm sure there's going to be many made for TV movies coming out about that that whole uh, scenario. To their credit, though, what I would say is they created a category that, um, didn't, that exist. didn't really exist except in, in the case of Regis and a few other players that were kind of in executive suites, but they created essentially a whole new um, environment for people to work in. And frankly, it's been a huge boom for people um, because it eliminates the need for huge capital for TI or tenant improvements and allows people to expand or contract an office space the way they never could before. And I think it's been a huge benefit to, to many businesses, especially early stage businesses. And I've, we're also seeing a, a lot of enterprise businesses who want to attract talent who don't necessarily want to move to a headquarters location, but they can engage them and put them in teams in whatever city they happen to be in because co-working is almost everywhere now. <clears throat> yeah, I, I definitely like, you know, I have a WeWork office, so I have a private office at WeWork, and um, the what I'm I'm about to move offices actually. Um, but one thing that inevitably happens is whenever I invite a client or like a team member invites a client to the office, you know, something something comes up in conversation regarding WeWork. Like it always <laughs> seems like, you know, your 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 guys is uh you know are in the news a lot, you know, <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe I should uh, move here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, but, you know uh, I, I have a slightly different perspective on it, which is um, they created a category effectively like the Kleenex of facial tissues. <laughs> and they did a huge favor for anybody who, who was involved in doing co-working. And I, I started doing co-working business kind of accidentally back in 2007. I had leased an old warehouse that had been converted by Shaquille O'Neal into an internet incubator um, in the dawn of dot-com 1.0 and had mostly sat empty and we leased it. It was beautiful space at putting greens and arcades and a big bar. It was amazing. But I, I leased twice as much space as I needed at the, at the downturn of the economy in 2007. And then I, I leased it out um, extra space to, to friends who had competitive firms or similar kinds of businesses. I didn't know it at the time, but that was effectively co-working. I leased 25,000 extra square feet out to others. And in the course of doing that, I learned kind of what to do and what not to do. And, and then in the meantime, we work in a handful of other companies essentially created um, a viable business model that, that became, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar industry. And, and despite, you know, we work setbacks. Um, the truth is, is that um, there are over 7,000 co-working locations in America and most of them are great and awesome. Not all of them are going to survive, but, but I believe that, that this is a fundamental change in the way people work and, um, it's only 3% of all office space and all the major analysts from the major companies are basically saying it's likely to become 20 or 30% of all office space because it provides so much greater flexibility around your capital and the ability to expand or contract 
which is so much more important today than it ever was before. Definitely. I think one of the mistakes that people make, at least initially in their startup career, is that they try to look fancy before they are fancy. <laughs> and, you know, like, they get like this $10,000 a month office, uh, office space or, or something, and they're not, you know, maybe they, have, they might have VC funds or whatever the case may be, but it's just, not, it's just a big mistake. Um, So I think, yes, fancy or uh, looking kind of over the top is is definitely a a huge pitfall. But I I would say, on the other hand, we're at a time where unemployment is at three and a half percent and the battle for smart white collar talent that's that's really well educated and smart has never been more fierce. And when you look at where you want to work, the place matters. And it's not just the company or the product or services you're offering. And if you can make, if you can inhabit a space that has good energy, has kind of a good network effect, it can be an attractor for talent. It can help retain talent. And and I have found uh, if it's really well done, as as I think we've done our spaces, um, they can be something that actually can inspire people to want to, work harder, work longer, develop bigger ideas, and, and it can be kind of that magic X factor that can make a difference between a, a, a business succeeding it's, or failing. It's the environment definitely has an effect on, on yeah. success, so for sure. That's why I do like WeWork, don't get me wrong. Like, I, like, <laughs> I like WeWork, like, uh, you know, I like the space that, that that's entailed in, in coming to work every day, um, you know, I, I just, it's, it's a great space, you know, um, and, uh, but it's just, it just has a lot of uh, um, news, out, you know, things happening in the news that cause people to sometimes question things. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you've worked with a lot of companies. Uh, you've worked with a lot of successful companies. You're a successful business owner yourself. What, what have you seen in, in entrepreneurs that allow them to be successful? And what have you seen are some pitfalls that entrepreneurs have uh, had in the past that, uh, that made them not succeed? Uh, well, the, the biggest factor that I've seen is, is that, they, that if you have a ridiculous drive and, and work ethic and you're willing to outwork anybody, oftentimes that becomes the X factor that allows you to succeed over somebody else. And, and uh, it's interesting. I, I also, um, I, I teach over at Loyola Marymount university and I run into, we have a program that we're involved in with some really smart students. And what's the interesting X factor that I run into is some of these students, I can tell they've got that special, um, kind of charisma energy to go above and beyond. You can spot it at an early age and some people have it and some people don't. And those who, who aren't just dreaming about becoming successful, they think they're the next Mark Zuckerberg, but the ones that are willing to put in the work and the ones that really will do whatever it takes to get their ideas to come to life, those generally um, have a higher success rate than those who just are, they're clever, but they aren't necessarily willing to, to do the work necessary to, to stand out in the crowd. How much of a factor do you think intelligence plays in, in a successful entrepreneurship? Um, I, I, listen, I think it, it's, it's, it's critical, um, but, but I, 
One of the things I've learned, I've been very fortunate in my career to hire a lot of smart people from very successful universities, from Harvard and Stanford and Wharton. And I found that, that um, hard work and street smarts are actually more valuable than just raw academic um, prowess. And that just because you could do well on tests and go to an Ivy League school doesn't necessarily mean you have what it takes to be uh, a hustling entrepreneur. And, and that's just been my own personal experience. It doesn't, I don't take anything away from the schools they hire or they bring in smart, smart kids and they turn out some amazing people to go on to be tremendously successful. Yeah. But there's, well, there's some, go ahead. I think what I would look for is maybe an Ivy League student who wasn't the, smart, the smartest kid regards, in regards to raw intelligence, but they made it in. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. But, but you know, what, what I think is really interesting and why now is such an amazing time to be in, in business is that there is um, there's so much opportunity to create business that doesn't require a huge amount of capital that you can, you can go, especially in places where there's infrastructure, large cities like LA and San Francisco and New York, where there is, there's infrastructure to help an entrepreneur bring their idea to life. And there's plenty of people around in an ecosystem to help you, but it's never been easier to get an idea off the ground and get it funded. And in the, in the old days, like if you wanted to make a product, you had to go and build a plant you had to hire a whole team of full-time designers. Now all of those things can be variableized and you can create something very quickly, very inexpensively, prove it out with a, a minimum viable product and put it out in the world and you can find out whether you have something. So it's, there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur, but it's still, I would say it, it, it takes a special kind of person that has that raw desire, that hustle um, and, and has the belief in something like they They've discovered a problem that, that has not been solved by somebody else and they're chasing it with their heart and soul. And, and my experience has been, again, I've, I've worked for other people for a number of years and learned a lot from them and um, some, some amazing entrepreneurs that have been very successful. I, my own personal experience was work for somebody else and then, then you can go and do it on your own. Um, there's nothing wrong with starting right out of college and starting something, but my own personal journey has, has been um, to, to learn from others, uh, watch successes and failures along the way, and, and then pick something and go after it yourself. Absolutely. Um, what, what are things that, that, uh, that uh, contributed to you being successful as an entrepreneur in the marketing space? What did, um, what did you do that, was, that, that you can definitely um, – uh, point out and go, that was one of the reasons that I was able to achieve the level of success. I've achieved. Well, I, so it's like, like many people's story. I, I was a client and I was running marketing at Activision. And at the time uh, I was, we were doing focus groups at the headquarters all the time. And I was, I was listening to the people we were testing. We're showing them games, showing them packaging, um, showing them ads. And what, we, and I would ask them after the focus group was done, well, what, what, what TV networks do you watch? What magazines do you read? What radio stations? And, and at the time, uh, they were saying, well, I don't listen to radio stations. I, you know, download music. This is, again, in the 90s. Um, I don't watch much television anymore. I don't read magazines. And it occurred to me, these early adopters, these gamers were probably a, a canary in the coal mine for what 
all consumers are going to do, which is to the extent that the internet moves from being just, you know, a way to trade messages to something that actually becomes a, a way to access information that it's going to change the world of marketing forever. And that was the insight by which I started my, my agency called Ignited. And, and, you know, it's taken, interestingly, I, I did my first website in 1994 and here we are in 2020, 26 years later, and just now half of all marketing money is being spent on digital. It's taken 26 years. It seems like it, some people thought it was going to be overnight, but it's actually taken a long time. But what has happened is all of us have changed our behavior. I would never buy a car without going online to see what people say about it. I wouldn't go to a movie without conferring Rotten Tomatoes. I wouldn't take a vacation or check if I didn't check out the hotels on TripAdvisor or the, those types of sites. Yeah. And so that, that insight led me to, wait a minute, there's going to need to be new kinds of firms that understand digital to the core. Doesn't mean the TV radio out of home goes away. It just means that the mix changes and the way you interact with marketing is going to change and we'll never probably go back. Would you say that understanding trends is definitely a reason that you've been successful in the past? Well, I'd say that one of the things, and I actually tell this to the students I teach over at LNU, is one of the most important things you got to do is love reading and every day read what's in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, or whatever vertical you want to focus on. Um, I, I tend to focus on things in the venture space. I tend to focus on food and beverage brands. Um, we do a lot of work with the federal government. So I always want to know what's going on in those categories. And you have to inherently have raw curiosity to want to go and learn and read about those things. And if you do that, you will be aware of the trends and you will be able to go react to them before others do, because these things pop up or, you know, two, oftentimes two years before they go mainstream. And then all of a sudden people go, wow, that was amazing. It was overnight. But, but if you were paying attention, these things were bubbling up along the way. And if you were able to jump on them early enough, you could oftentimes take advantage of them before they go mainstream or they become expensive. You ever get students that come up to you and, and say things like, you know, Eric, uh, we probably we want to have more professors like you because all the other professors that we're learning from have not started a business. Have you ever? <laughs> um, you know, here's, I, I will tell you actually an insight how I got involved in doing this. So I'm, I'm, I'm involved in a group called Think LA and, and we are an in, the largest regional marketing association in the country, the greater LA market. And we have about 13,000 people on our mailing list and we do about 50 events a year. And back in the, in the around 2000, 2000 to 2005, when internet was booming and all the agencies were scrambling to figure it out, we were all stealing talent from each other. Basically, you could come in and be an inexperienced digital media planner in about two years, you could jump up like double your salary in almost no time, even though you weren't expert, but there was so much competition for talent. And so, we got together with a bunch of the people that were involved in running agencies and media companies. We said, listen, we got to grow more people that know how to do this and do it properly because hiring students out of the traditional schools who are reading, you know, uh, marketing from the 1970s and learning the four P's is not going to be helpful. We need them to understand not just how to use Facebook, but how to buy it. They need to have to understand how to buy search. They need to understand 
how to do later on programmatic buying and understand social to the core. And the schools weren't churning those students out at the time. So we went to, uh, we went to USC, UCLA, Pepperdine and, and LMU and LMU came back and the, and the, the head of the business school said, we'd love to do this. Let's partner with you. And we built a program called the M school where most of the classes are taught or co-taught with industry professionals from uh, 72 and Sunny or Deutsch or Facebook, Google, or, or major brands like Activision. And, and so what we've done is we've allowed these students to get, you know, hands-on going out and actually seeing at the places of business, how the business works, meeting the people that are doing those jobs. And then many times those are turning into uh, internships and, and full-time jobs because wow. they actually get it. And then the, the, the projects in the classes are real world projects that are based on real brands. Um, and so the students come out much better prepared than people that are taught by professors who haven't been um, in the field in a couple decades and are teaching out of textbooks. Do you feel that's how uh, the, the approach that most universities are taking or do you feel that's not? It's not. Yeah, it's, it's not. You know what? It's, a, it's hard because you know people who are working professionals most don't want to take the time to go and prepare and teach a class, quite frankly. I'm able to do it because I co-teach it with the department head and I don't have, I split the duties, but it's, it's like a whole job. And yeah. so if you have a big job doing anything interesting out there, you don't have time to go and allocate, you know, 10 hours a week or more to teaching. It's a big commitment. I only do it one semester a year. Um, and, and I'd like to do more, but I, I just don't have the time. So, but, but, but what we found is we get a, the benefit of, a, a, we can get a lot of people in the, in the LA market to be guest lecturers. And that's not so much of a time commitment. And a lot of them, we go out to the businesses. So like we've taken kids from this program to Tom's Shoes and heard from the top officers there about how they are using marketing as a vehicle for good and go over to Facebook and hear what they're doing. And uh, we did a, we we're doing our second tour down to LAFC, the, the new soccer team in LA and listen to the marketing team talk about how they built a brand from scratch with almost no budget and have built one of the, you know, fastest growing team, you know, sports teams in a major market and learning from and actually walking through the facility, understanding what they did is much different than reading about it in a textbook or, or being assigned a homework assignment. And so I think that, that, you know, the future of education is going to be much more hands-on, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's going to be much more talking to the working professionals so that they're, they're, the, the experience is relevant and current, and you can go, oh, I can see how this can apply. It's not just uh, an academic exercise. Well, yeah, you, you see things like, you, the, def, the market's definitely changing regarding education because you see things like uh, companies like, Fate, like Google saying that a degree is no longer required. Uh, to be in the engineering department and you see them like starting these like coding schools and things like that. And it's like some of these companies, they're just, they're just, we're, we're going to start our own schools because we, we, we have a, a strong need for these students to be uh, part of our company. And why not just train them ourselves? Cause we know what we want, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I think I, I, I definitely think there's value there and the companies that have the resources to go do that. It's, it's a pretty amazing 
a pr pretty amazing thing. Most businesses can't afford to do that, to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. 99.9% .9 of businesses can't afford to do that, for sure. Um, what, what, do you, what are some things that you're seeing in, you know, in businesses that fail that, that, that uh, made them fail or that caused them to, um, to not do so well? You know, I, I, some of the things we put capital into ultimately didn't work out, and it's 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 the kind of the normal suspects, which is, you know, lack of capitalization, um, uh, lack of a cohesive team. Um, they burn too much too fast, and they didn't really develop and perfect a minimum viable product. Um, sometimes they just poor timing. You know, sometimes it's exogenous factors that are beyond their control. Someone else came up with a better widget faster. Um, so it can be a whole range of things. And, and um, uh, look, it's hard. Most people who start businesses, they fail. They just do. It's just mathematically, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't know what the number is today, but it's probably one in 10 businesses last more than five years. It's hard to go do this. And, and, um, and while there's tremendous opportunity out there, the market, you know, capitalism is, is ruthless. And if your idea doesn't catch on, you're going to run out of capital and you won't be able to hire a team to go execute your vision and it won't make it. And um, I think it's never been easier to find capital, at least small pockets of capital, but, it, but finding and, and, and turning your idea into something that really is a big business is incredibly hard. And I'm still hustling at it myself. Like I appreciate all the, the nice things you said about me, but I, I like in the scheme of things, I'm still, um, you know, hustling as hard as I ever have um, working on all the ventures I'm involved in. And, and, uh, and I, I, I always looking over my shoulder and saying, what else can we be doing to, you know, beat out the other agencies or beat out the other co-working businesses? You know, how do, how do we, how do we succeed and create something that's a bit different than what they're making? Absolutely. Or, or maybe just not so different and just execute better, I guess. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, going back to the, the co-working business, this business, you know, started off as something, especially in the WeWork space, they were kind of got famous for working with small entrepreneurs and it was a lot of networking and drinking beer and playing foosball. <laughs> the truth is, is that co-working has grown up and now like the space I have I'm in El Segundo near LAX, most of these businesses are actually relatively mature. They're smaller firms and they are profitable and they're not um, people running around um, hassling other people to give them, help them raise money or get contacts. They're well-established firms that are just want to be in a cool space and be around other like-minded people. And I think the businesses is, is, is kind of maturing and growing up as, as people are, are realizing that it's a better alternative than being in a high rise in a suite, you know, with a nice view, but you're kind of lonely when you have a small uh, enterprise where if you can have some sense of community and be around like-minded people, you're not always bugging them for money or legal advice, but sometimes just seeing other folks hustling and, and, and talking about what they're working on over coffee is kind of emotionally supportive and, and fulfilling. No, I totally agree. 100%. I feel like in, in the, in the WeWork space, especially what I find is like, there's a lot of companies that work with other companies within, within WeWork. And it's just because 
they're just, you know, passing by each other every day or, yeah. you know, you know, they're, they're at the same spot when they're, when they're getting water for, yeah. uh, you know, for themselves or, you know, they, they pass each other by or they go into the same elevator and it's like, they just start a conversation and a relationship and then it just organically happens. So. Yeah. I mean, one of the, the beliefs I have is that, that, that the reason why the success of cities around the world is because having a lot of people near each other doing things creates kind of like kinetic ener energy, like atoms. And I think at a smaller scale, co-working operates the same way that you do business with people you're familiar with and trust. And you, 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 you could just walk down the hall and ask for a, a piece of advice or say, Hey, could you help me out on a project? And that familiarity breeds trust and, and accelerates the speed by which you do whatever you want to go do. And I think this phenomenon of, of flexible offices or co-working um, creates that that's, that's really unique. And I'd say it works especially good and especially effectively in larger markets where you have a lot of people that are working on interesting projects um, and have a lot of entrepreneurs who are working on things that might help each other. You never know. And you have that bump into each other effect. And, yeah. and, and I like when we built out this space, my original vision was it was all going to be marketing related professions. And I found that actually inviting people from other professions was actually helpful and just getting fresh ideas. And my belief was that we were going to be able to work with some of these companies, which we have, and we would get clients, which we have. And I'll tell you a quick anecdote. It was, it was interesting. There was a, Company moved in, had raised some, they were on their, their, um, their B round. And one of the companies they put capital in said, hey, I'd like to put an innovation team here. And, and then afterwards, they asked us if they'd help on designing an app for the largest company in the Philippines. And that led to doing a project where I, I spent most of 2016 going back and forth to Manila, working with the largest fast food franchise in Southeast Asia, and the largest telco is actually the largest company in the Philippines. And it never would have happened if I didn't have a co-working space. So those are those kind of like magical things that happen accidentally, but you kind of can plan for it um, by creating these spaces or working in these spaces that these kind of serendipitous things happen that, that wouldn't happen if you were in your own lonely space in a high rise. I, I want to go back really quick to um, kind of, there, there's something to be said about companies that don't raise capital, but they're successful in their own right. And, and they, they wait to do that. Do you feel like a lot of VC firms, a lot of people like you invest in companies that are really, really early stage, hoping that th there'll be a big win one day, or do you feel like, shouldn't there be something said about somebody that doesn't want to raise capital initially? They want to wait a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, before they do that, before they want to scale? Well, listen, as I said earlier, we, we put, put time, money, labor, effort, office space into a bunch of different things. And our batting record has not been amazing. We had some things that have worked out, but a bunch of them didn't. And right. it's really hard. And I would say, yeah, if you can go and build something without raising capital and hold on to all the equity, that's fantastic. My own experience is that it requires capital to go fast. And I, sure. I think speed trumps holding on to all the equity. That, that totally. so much moving in the, in the economy that, that if you have a good idea, odds are someone else may be working on something 
similar to what you're doing and you better um, have the ability to gain market share quickly because you can't wait five years and bootstrap the thing forever. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm, again, I, I'm not opposed to, to, get, to getting capital from a venture firm. I'm just saying at what stage do you get capital? What's ideal? Is it, um, you know, it, it, de- it really, really depends. I will tell you, um, we just, um, we, we are joined forces with the group that, ha- that has a lot of capital invested in co-working, for instance, and some, some, some deep pocketed um, folks are behind it. And, and we had the realization that to scale uh, a location that's um, 50,000 square feet or bigger is gonna cost about $10 million a copy to do it the conventional way that WeWork has been done. Well, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And we wanna go and scale a lot of these. Well, you know, we don't have necessarily the resources to go do that and bootstrap that kind of money um, and, and grow rapidly. That's, that's just the reality. It's a very capital intensive business. Whereas if you're in a capital light business, be it an app or maybe some content creation, it doesn't require so much capital. And if you can go do that, that's great. It just depends on what, what sector you're in and, and what are the, the capital requirements of that particular um, business you're choosing. Absolutely. Um, what, what are your thoughts here in the marketing space? What are your thoughts on some of these modern mar- marketing technologies like uh, TikTok and um, podcasting and, and things like that? What, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously. Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm a big believer that you've always got to go and try things that are new that are just taking off because you can get outsized performances when there's novelty and you get also oftentimes the PR benefit of it because the first that goes and does something big on each of these platforms gets just an outsized amount of PR, earned media. And so, you know, we prided ourselves at our firm here doing a lot of innovative things early on and, and had some, some enormous success for both ourselves and our clients. So, um, you know, we worked on, on Universal Pictures. All their di- we bought all their digital media for seven years, for instance, on their movies, um, cable, their, their, all their cable networks and NBC television. And, and during the course of that, some of the biggest successes we had was trying things before other people had done them and getting a great deal with them and then watching them soar and then the clients loving it because they got um, accolades for trying something before other people did and they got it very inexpensively. And so, you know, back in the day, we were working on Fast and the Furious or um, those Minion movies and such. And we got, we did some amazing things that, that took off and got them, you know, 10x the value beyond what they paid for it. And those successes, I think, encourage you to want to go and try whatever's new. Now, it doesn't mean throwing a lot of money at whatever's new. I found that whenever something is new, and you try it first, whether we did Snapchat Lens first or we did some of the innovations when Facebook was early on. When you do those things, you oftentimes get a deal, especially if you're representing a well-known brand that they want to align with and they want to prove that it will be valuable for a marketer. And so we found that there's synergy between early stage companies that have something cool and new that want to try it. And if you have a brand that, that is willing to go take a chance, it can be a win-win for everybody. But going back to my earlier comment, I think it's critical that if you're, you know, running a business, you're a marketer, you're running an agency, it's so critical to be constantly curious and experimenting with things and always be open to trying stuff. And you never know, 
um, but you might hit on something before others do, you're probably going to have a couple whiffs as well, but that's okay. You know, as long as you didn't spend a lot on it, um, big believer in kind of the, the lean approach to marketing, try, try a bunch of things. Um, you know, if you try 10 new things, two of them work, that's, that's pretty good. So, okay. Let me ask you this. Um, who are the, who are the people that you would really, really like to get in contact with right now at this point, like either, you know, title or <laughs> listening, so, who would you like to get in contact with? So I tell you the, where we've had our biggest success is um, working with CEOs and CMOs of companies that are looking to make uh, some kind of transformation. They're struggling with their brand. Um, they, they, they need to take a new direction. They, they may have lost their way. And, and we found that brands like that, and I'm not going to name any by name because that would, might be insulting to somebody, but, but there are a lot of brands out there that frankly kind of either just miss the digital revolution or being disrupted by others and they need to catch up quickly. And they, they need to work with folks that are, that have always been kind of at the leading edge to help them navigate this very complicated space. And what I've found is right now, you know, if you go to a conference, everybody's, you know, confident and saying they know what's going on. But, but the truth is, is that many folks are struggling with the, the amount of complexity in the business ecosystem and the complexity in the marketing ecosystem. And they don't know exactly what to do and nor do they know who to trust. And so we found that, that, CEOs and CMOs that are, are in that situation and want to work with some, some folks that are veterans that have been there, been in the trenches and help turn brands around or help uh, do something that will fundamentally change the trajectory of their business in the face of disruption. Or maybe they want to be a disruptor. They, they, those kind of firms are very appealing for, for folks like us because um, we could go throw a, a team of seasoned marketing pros that have done this time and time again and help them turn things around. If they're a big brand and they just want an ad campaign for the Super Bowl, there are plenty of agencies that do that. We want to appeal to people that have um, slightly different ambitions. Absolutely. Okay, cool. How, how would those, if, if that person is listening to this podcast, how would they get in contact with you? Um, reach out to me. It's ejohnson at ignitedusa, I-G-N-I-T-E-D-U-S-A.com. Love to hear from anybody who's who's wrestling with some issues and wants a fresh perspective. I, I, I love to look at those opportunities and, and give some thoughts. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for doing the podcast with me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to conversing again and doing a podcast again soon. All right. Thanks so much, Frank. Have a good one.